You're listening to The Vine Podcast, episode 83. Email marketing is a powerful tool for food bloggers who want to build loyal fans. The best part is that you can utilize the content you already have in order to drive more traffic to your site, but you can also use it to help learn more about your audience. In today's episode, we'll learn about how you should be welcoming new subscribers and then nurturing them along a journey to becoming a loyal fan of your food blog. Hey friend, I'm Madison Wetherill, a web designer and branding strategist for food bloggers and your host for the Vine podcast. This show is all about supporting you as a food blogger as you grow your business. I'll share tips for designing your business and your website with intention so that you can build a blog that fits into your life, not consumes it. You'll hear tips for connecting with your audience, growing your blog, and tips for managing and designing your website, all in short, easy to consume and actionable episodes. If you're ready to think differently about the strategies and tactics that you need to grow your food blog, you are in the right place. I'm so excited that you're here, friend. Let's get started. Welcome, friends. I'm so excited for you to be listening into this episode today to learn all about email marketing. My guest today is Allie Grummert, the owner of Duet Co. She is an email marketing strategist and conversion copywriter who helps online business owners make a killer first impression through automated welcome and nurture sequences. She helps her clients build intentional email strategies that engage readers, build brand loyalty, and optimize conversions for sales and site traffic. In today's conversation, Allie is sharing her tips for creating opt-ins for your website, building the relationship with your new subscriber and how you can utilize the content you already have to nurture your list. Let's dive into this conversation with Allie Grummert. Hey Allie, welcome to the Vine Podcast. I'm so excited to have you today. Would you mind just starting us off by a quick introduction to you and what you do, who you work with, all of the good things? Yeah, so thanks for having me. I'm Allie Grummert. I'm an email marketing strategist and conversion copywriter, and I help online businesses, um, largely content creators and bloggers. So my background is actually in personal finance blogging, and then I have a bunch of food blogging clients. Um, but my goal is to help them make a killer first impression with their email subscribers through a welcome and nurture sequence that really engages readers, helps build brand loyalty, and optimize conversions for sales and site traffic. That is quite an amazing introduction. I love it. <laughs> well, you hit on kind of the the journey that a new subscriber would take. So let's just start there with just talking about when someone subscribes to your email list, or maybe when they first even see that you have a form on your website, what is kind of the journey that someone should take from kind of being like a nobody all the way to like a raving fan at the end? Yeah. So one of the best ways you can get on someone's good side, if you will, for them to even give you their email address is to create some sort of opt-in, an incentive, if you will. So people can opt in just to get your, you know, your blog updates or to get some sort of I don't know, get, join a webinar or whatnot, but a webinar or a PDF or some sort of like email challenge, those things are going to be more incentivizing for someone to engage because they're getting something back from you. So having something of value to deliver, which I will say even like when you're first starting out, it's kind of hard to nail that on the first try. Like my first opt-in was just like, I think this is what people are struggling with. And now like over time, I have a better idea of what it is. And then you just have this light bulb moment. You're like, oh, that's a freebie. That would be perfect. Like I know that that's what people are struggling with. So know that you don't have to nail it on the first try. Um, It's kind of an evolution. And being the marketer that I am, I'll tell you like, try new things and test them and see what people respond to, right? So once they get on your email list, my hope is that they would hear from you 
like immediately within the first hour and the first day. When I started my personal finance blog, ConvertKit did not exist. <laughs> not, not yet. Um, no, wait, it did. It was MailChimp. They didn't have like automations included or anything with the free plan. And I didn't really enjoy how their lists were set up. So I actually, as a hobby blogger making $0 was paying $29 a month for ConvertKit in 2016, (laughs) because I was like, I want people to hear from me right away. And so I had a three email welcome sequence so that every new subscriber would hear from me and learn my story and learn about what I was going to be sharing with them. So that's That would be my dream is that everyone has at least some sort of introduction. I talk on my blog about how even just a one email welcome, it's like, this is who I am. This is what you'll get here. Here's how to connect. That's better than them not hearing from you for two weeks until you send out another blog post. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love that you kind of set the stage for like, this is how quickly they should hear from you. And I also really love that you mentioned like, even if you're just getting started, or even if this is a hobby, or even if you don't have time for a welcome sequence, like that first email is just going to solidify because I have signed up for so many freebies over the years. And I don't hear right away from the person. And then it doesn't matter if it's two days or two weeks or two years, I will not remember who that person is. And all of a sudden it's like, I don't know who this is. I'm going to unsubscribe. And so by having that immediate like, hello, basically that handshake, you're automatically connecting with that person and getting to know them in a way that they're going to actually remember who you are the next time you email them, which will hopefully not be in two years. So (laughs) hopefully not. Yeah, well, and there's also this little kind of spot in that journey that a lot of people don't think about. But when someone opts in to a form on your site, you have a couple different options. I'm sure on your email service platform, you can just have it say like, you know, they submit it and it says success. You'll be receiving a confirmation email soon. But you also have another opportunity to have it redirect to another page. And I love that. There's something about like having a little video or welcome even before they get an email from you. So I have one, it's just duet.co slash welcome. And it's a 55 second video of me just letting them know what they're going to be getting. I joke that it's like 90% of the reason why I have a video is so people know how to say my name because it's spelled funny. I'm like, I'm gonna take a swing at it, see if it sticks. Um, And so I have a video, a link to explore the blog. And then for like that low hanging fruit, like anyone that might wanna hire me, it's just a little blurb about how I serve clients and they can go to learn more. So. That's before they even get an email. And in that video or right above it, I'm saying like, be sure to check your email. Like that's where you'll, where you'll hear from me next. Kind of helps close the gap there. Makes it feel a little bit more personal. Yeah, that's a really good tip. And that is totally something that I see a lot of food bloggers kind of underutilizing because it's it's very easy to just use kind of ConvertKit's default, which is just their little, you know, confirmation little blurb on the their website. But if you can redirect it to your website and give them a taste of what to expect, you know, highlight some of your popular blog posts or, you know, send them to a paid product if you have one. Like there's so many things you could do. And most of the time people are just doing like the default that does not really help your brand loyalty at all. So I love that tip. I also wanted to go back to the opt-ins really fast because sure. you had mentioned, you know, that it's it really answers like what someone is struggling with and that it's okay to not get it right the first time, which I totally agree with. I'm curious how many you recommend or if you have kind of a guideline for that, because I've seen people go and have one, you know, freebie that's not doing well all the way to having like 25 that are impossible to manage. So I'm sure there's a sweet spot in there somewhere, but I'd love to hear what your tips are for that. Yeah. I think that there's a period of exploration, right? Like 
as entrepreneurs, we know that too, like giving yourself the time to kind of play around and see what's possible. But at some point you have to think about like, what do you want to manage? Like, do you want to manage 16 different opt-ins or do you want to take the ones that are performing really well and just run with those and let those be your three opt-ins? Like my business coach has two opt-ins and she's been in business for like six years, but she doesn't need anything else. These are the two that work um, and pull in just the right people. So yeah, give yourself some time to try it out. Like I have opt-ins that don't perform. Like I have a free like webinar presentation, zero pitch. Like it's hundred percent educational. It's like 45 minutes. And I think I've had one person opt in and I'm over here like, no, really, I'm not pitching you anything. <laughs> like, please just like, that's where you're going to learn about subject lines and all of that. So, but now that I know that it's something that I could take off of my website and maybe just include an email um, that could help kind of clean up my resources page. How often would you recommend like revisiting what you already have and kind of auditing it for like to see if it's working? Yeah, I would say give it three to six months. Um, and once you kind of find your stride, stick with that. That's also why it's helpful to niche down uh, so you can make sure that you're attracting the right people for the type of content that you provide and the type of content that, yeah, that you want to attract those people. And so that's where I think as food bloggers, there's often this like, I don't know, I just have recipes. You know, you hear that a lot with people who are like just kind of all American food, home cooks, and you're like, but you have something unique about you. What is that? And so maybe it's bundling it up or making it, you know, you could have a seasonal promo. Um, I have one, I did a free strategy call with someone once and she was like, I, she has all this culinary experience. And she was like, I might just do a how to use your knives properly video. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, like I don't gold. know how to use a knife properly. <laughs> yeah, teach me. And that's different than somebody else who maybe focuses on Instant Pots. Yeah, totally. And anyone who's listened to this podcast for any more than one episode has guaranteed heard me talk about how important it is to like niche down, know your story, like know what makes you different. And there's tons of episodes in the archives if you guys are not like totally sure what that is, but take it from us. You for sure have something that is unique that people actually care about and all it takes is some experimenting to get there. So I love that. All right. So let's dive into talking about those next parts of kind of that sequence, which is the, the welcome sequence, we kind of briefly talked on, you can do a lot of different things with that, but it's important to have it. What is the next step? It's really like that nurture sequence, kind of like really forming that long-term relationship with somebody. Yeah. So what I love about nurture sequences and a nurture sequence is essentially how you are staying in touch with your new subscribers in a way that's automated. And this can look a ton of different ways. But the if you think about it as simply as repurposing your archival content, your best content, and making sure it's showing up in the inbox of your new subscriber, right? So if you might have this killer lasagna recipe and it's five years old. And what I heard all the time from money blogging clients, especially they're like, but I wrote that forever ago. It's like, is the lasagna still good? I think so. <laughs> like, is the lasagna still something that people want to make? Yes. And so if it's your most popular content, you want it out in front of people. I think that that's just a fear you have of like, because you're a content creator and everything always feels new, but what's it like to repurpose that really popular content, whether it's you know, how to budget or how to make lasagna. So the nurture sequence gets that best content in front of your new subscribers in a timely way. And I think it also gives you peace of mind. You're like, I know that everyone on my list is receiving these top five recipes in individual emails over the course of the first month. And that way, when you send out updates or new emails, you don't have to wonder, oh, I wonder if, like, when's the last time I sent out my like meatloaf recipe? It's like, no, everyone's got it. So, and what that does is it pairs your archival content 
with your new stuff. So your nurture sequence can go out, like my automated nurture sequence goes out on Tuesdays, but my new content goes out on Thursdays, but I'm only writing one email a week. So how long is an ideal, I guess there's probably two parts to this. So if you don't have a nurture sequence yet, what would you recommend for getting started with that? And then ideally, like how long should it be like long-term? So I would say getting started is most of the battle, right? Setting it up so that after they complete your welcome sequence and they know who you are and how to connect with you and maybe being segmented into different audiences, then they go into your nurture sequence. And that's where I would say sharing your top content. Um, So I'd say go to Google Analytics. What are your, what is your top content? One of the things I do is that when I look at clients, Google Analytics is looking for themes. So like, a client recently had a lot of chickpea recipes. I'm like, so then we can do a roundup on chickpeas, you know, where another email might just be a featured recipe on this one Mediterranean dish. So when you do that, you're like, you're taking the top content over the last year, right? That stuff that has like killer SEO already and maybe Pinterest traffic. What are those blog posts? And then you get to play around. Do you want it to be a feature email? on just one recipe, or do you want to do a little roundup? She also was going to do like a Mediterranean themed roundup. So like an entree and a side and a drink, right? You get to kind of play around with making your own little menu per email as well. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes back to what we were saying a little bit before with just really knowing your story and knowing what makes you unique, because you could easily look at your analytics and just say like, this is all random. But if you know, like, this is what I'm helping somebody with, especially if you have a really good opt-in and you can know like that's step one, like, where do I want to walk people through next? And how can the content that I already have help to bring someone along? And I always really love the idea of like a reader's journey and really thinking through that. And I feel like the welcome sequence and a nurture sequence just so easily does that when you really spend the time to like set it up and think about it. And it's something that you can add to all the time, which is really fun. Absolutely. And so, and I love that you also mentioned, so with your welcome sequence, do you typically have somebody just receiving the welcome sequence until, and then when they're done with that, they start receiving like your regular, regularly yes. scheduled content as well? Yeah. So I like to think of like this, <laughs> the welcome sequence is this like protected environment, right? Like while they're getting these like anywhere from three to five emails, it's like no other distractions, right? That's the important stuff you don't want them to miss. And then at that point, the kind of floodgates open and they can be getting nurture emails funnel emails, and then your live content as well. So, and what's cool about the welcome sequence, and I briefly mentioned this, is this is when you can segment your audience. So you just briefly mentioned too, based on how they opt in, you could segment your audience by a certain topic or skill level. You can also do that in your welcome sequence emails. Um, You can use a link trigger, And what it is, is it's a link that says like, I want to know more about Instant Pot recipes. And when they click on that, they get a tag. So then when they go into the nurture sequence, maybe you have a few different ones and one is specifically for Instant Pot. And what's cool about the nurture sequences too, and you mentioned this, Madison, of like, you get to craft this journey for them. Like you are the expert in Indian cuisine. What do they need to know? And so I need you to like, zoom up to like 35,000 feet and say, what does someone who's a brand new beginner to Indian food need to know? Like an entire email could just be about the spices to have in your cabinet. It could be just like a pantry checklist. Another one could be the kind of tools you need. Um, Or it could be an introduction to different regional cuisine so that they know the difference. Like think of it as like a little bit of like a crash course so that when you are sending recipes, they're getting the most out of it and they feel prepared to be able to make that recipe. Yeah, I love that tip. And it just made me think about how I think one mistake that I see 
not just food bloggers, but any industry really making is thinking that everything has to point to like a blog post or it has to point to a sale Mm -hmm. if it's, you know, more of like a product based or something. And really these initial sequences are what is going to make that easier in the long run. Because if you, like you said, if you just go straight from great, you got your opt-in, now I'm going to just start sending you recipes and you don't have the tools, you don't have like the basics down. Now I'm just going to unsubscribe or I'm going to ignore your emails and feel bad that I can't make your recipe. And then I'm going to unsubscribe in six months. And it just really doesn't set that person up for success. But if you can give them baby steps along the way, then all of a sudden, once they start getting your regular content, it's like, I am ready to make my first Indian recipe and I'm going to tackle it. And because I have all my tools now, I did all my Amazon shopping, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I just love that approach so much more. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more about like the segmenting that you mentioned, because I think that is, again, something that's super underutilized and can be so powerful for food bloggers to know so much more about their audience, but also to really be giving them valuable content that they want. So can you just like talk to us about how that works and why it's so awesome? Yeah. So an example would be when I worked with Pinch of Young, we segmented their list by beginners and people who are a little bit more familiar. So then what's happening is we're not sending those people who clicked that they're familiar in the kitchen. We're not sending them like pantry checklists. Like they're good to go. Right. And so if you think about it, that is that's listening. Those are listening skills. Like I'm not going to be sending you stuff that you don't need. And I call that noise. Right. Just because you can send out an email to everyone doesn't mean that you should, because if you're showing up with irrelevant content, then that can make them really unhappy or feel like, ah, this is below me, (laughs) right? Whereas like for people who are beginners, those five emails are like, oh man, they have everything they need to get started. But then like the familiar people are getting a little bit more advanced content. Maybe we're sharing more advanced kitchen appliances more than like a cutting board. They're getting more like, here's a ninja or a food processor. Like I am in between those two. I'm, I lean towards the beginner. I'm like, I also don't have room for a food processor in my tiny little apartment. But yeah, so then what you see in the the nurture content, the sequence for each of those, and they're each five emails long, um, you see higher engagement. You see higher click-through rates. You see higher open rates because that information is personalized towards them. Now, we do have a default option. So if someone doesn't click beginner or familiar, pretty sure they all get sent to the familiar sequence. So the numbers there are going to be a little bit off, right? That's not nearly as segmented. You could also set up as a completely separate sequence if you want to keep that data separate. But that's me like pushing my glasses up right now. It's very nerdy to keep track of all of that. But hopefully that makes sense, right? Like you're creating a more personalized journey for your subscribers. Yeah, totally. What would you recommend to somebody? Because I've heard this a lot from people um, who they're really not sure. Like maybe they're in that experimental phase. This is their first opt-in. They really don't know their audience super well yet. Mm -hmm. And how would you be able to use kind of this tactic of segmenting your list and just using your email wisely to be able to learn more about your audience? Oh, I love that you asked that. So that is my current email list. And I've been in business three years, right? And I didn't even start an email list till I was in year two, which like as a blogger, like killed me to wait. I was like, I need this to happen. I didn't even have a website that first year. But what I do is I have link triggers in my welcome sequence. And what I consider it is it's data collection, like who makes up my audience. So I ask them, like you could ask somebody like, what are you interested in? And that's what they could click on. In my case, I asked them kind of what their role is. Like, are they a copywriter? Are they a blogger? Are they you know, a product? You know, do they have digital courses? What is it that they focus their attention on? And while I have no specific follow-up on any of that, full disclosure, it's just me collecting data for who makes up my list. So, and the point, let's see, right? The point of doing any of that 
is because like my reason is data collection. Like I don't want you just like collecting tags for the sake of collecting tags, like, you know, but that'll be helpful going forward. If I'm like, oh, 50% of my lists are bloggers, then I'm just going to focus all my attention on that. Who knows? Maybe most of your audience are really advanced home cooks and you don't need to worry about using beginner language anymore. Just like, you know, and that could change the trajectory of the content you create. Yeah, absolutely. And I I feel like every blogger has probably multiple, like three to five different sub niches, even within like a well-defined niche, just because it can vary so much. And so that can be a really great way for you to, you know, just kind of think through logically, like how would my content separate out? And then just figure out the question that you can ask to help you separate those people out on your list. And one cool thing I think you could do is you could move people through multiple sequences so they could finish the beginner and then they could move to the intermediate and then they could move to advanced and yes that's super fun to be able to do too um a little bit more advanced obviously but um you had kind of mentioned you know going from or having your nurture sequence kind of in the same timing as like your live content can you talk a little bit more about like that balance of you know sending both of those things at the same time so what i always recommend is picking a day of the week that both would go out. I don't know why this is so hard for us. Like when we schedule social media, we're like, yes, we have a pattern. On Thursdays, it's this. On Tuesdays, it's this. Like a Tuesday tip. Whereas with email marketing, we're kind of like, I don't know when these emails are going out. Like it's set up as a sequence of like, and then five days later, and then four days later, and then two days later. And I have no idea who's getting what email today, right? And we just kind of like live in that gray space of unknown. So then when you want to send an email, you're like, well, I hope like my list isn't getting two emails from me today. And it's just this, yeah gray void. And so pick a day of the week that it goes out. So with your nurture content, you can set that for kind of maybe even your secondary day. Use your live broadcast content, the new stuff, like experiment and figure out like which days you're getting the most engagement while your older nurture content is still running. So, and you can always tweak that. You can move it from Wednesdays at five to Thursdays at two. Um, But the point being is that your subscribers are still hearing from you in both both times. Um, And I've actually moved to just writing my I call it my weekly broadcast. It's now bi-weekly. It's every two weeks. <laughs> and so, yeah, I know that those weeks where I'm not sending out a new email, my list is still hearing from me or a majority of my list is still hearing from me. I think the tip about picking a day is really helpful because I have definitely had that happen where like multiple emails have gone out or I've forgotten to like exclude somebody, you know, exclude the welcome sequence or whatever. And so if you have it on a specific day and really as long as you know what days it is, your subscribers probably don't notice or care generally. I mean, maybe they do if it's like a podcast or something like that, but most of the time they're just going to see it in their emails, but at least then you know like when things are going out and working together. It gives you peace of mind for sure. Yeah, and then if you want to throw in a random email because something came up and you want to share something, like you know when that day can be. How far ahead do you recommend like – scheduling those kind of live broadcast type of emails. Is there an ideal timeline for that? Is it just if you can be ahead of it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. So, well, there are a couple of different things you can do. You can set it up as like a newsletter that you write up and craft and add in the photos and all that. And with that, it's just whenever you have the time to promote that blog post. I mean, I would say set a schedule. Like I have it on my schedule on my calendar every Thursday morning to write my weekly broadcast for the following, like for the very next week. So I'm on top of it um, and it has time to go to my assistant to actually like put it into ConvertKit, right? So like making it a habit is a huge part of it. The other alternative would be to set up an RSS feed 
which of you, it's probably been a million years since you've heard about RSSPs, you know, and a lot of people kind of stick up their nose at it. But if you think about it, if you are in an intermediate phase where you are focusing on creating really great content and you've got like even a one email welcome sequence, set up an RSS feed so that when you publish a blog post, it goes to your list automatically. Or you can set it up as a digest so that every Friday you just pop in and see these three new blog posts are all queued up and send it to your list. Like make it easy for yourself to share your content, get it in front of people, get them to your site. And then as you have more time um, in the future, if you want to craft more, I don't know what you'd call it, more polished newsletters, if you will, with a little bit more flavor or whatnot, you can do that later. But at least you're not holding out that content from the people who really want it, which is why they're on your email list. Yeah, absolutely. And I generally like don't love RSS, but I like them better than nothing. And so I think exactly what you said is a very good thing to think about. Like, it's great for you to say, I'm going to work on my like email marketing and I'm really going to focus on it. And that's a great time for you to build all of these things out. But if you're not in that season and you're just like, I want to get it up so that I can be getting subscribers, but I don't have time to like write these emails, then the RSS is perfect because it's at least sending out your amazing content to them while you're focusing on that. And then, you know, I think in a future season, hopefully writing like more specific emails is you know, a goal, but it doesn't have to be the only way that you communicate with people. So I love that. So is there anything else we need to know about nurture sequences and how those work? You kind of briefly mentioned on like when like you could sell, which I know for some food bloggers, there really isn't anything to like sell, but for a lot of them, they are starting to have some sort of digital product or affiliate links that they want to share that type of stuff. So is there anything that we should know about when that's okay? Yeah. So it really depends on what you're selling, but say you have um, a cookbook or an ebook, what you can do is think about how you're priming your audience, like wetting their appetite before you pitch it. So if you have a whole book on desserts, you know, and maybe you segment your list by people who want to learn about desserts, they get three emails with just some of your top recipes and then a fourth email pitching them for where to get the rest. Right. And it's $6.99. So think about it in context of that whole flow, like getting them thinking about desserts will make it a lot easier to make that sell versus like every other email is like an entree and a snack. And then you hit them with a dessert email, like sales email, it's going to hit a little differently than if they're already thinking about it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's important to like make someone aware of who you are. Remember like when your name pops in their inbox, they're like, oh yeah, I know who that is versus just immediately pitching something that they don't care about. They don't know anything about it. They don't know anything about you. You really have to mm-hmm. to warm them up. So yeah, and build their trust. For sure. Anything else we should know about nurture sequences or any like follow-up that happens kind of after that in that journey? That's a great question. So one thing kind of going back to just know what your goals are. So I mentioned like with my link triggers and my welcome sequence, I'm just collecting data, right? So think about what you want your nurture sequence to do. Think about it. It could just be staying in people's inboxes so they know your name. It could be getting consistent site traffic back to these older blog posts, right? It's that's an opportunity cost. Like if you're not doing it, people are not going to your blog post. That's as simple as that because they don't know about it or they're not being prompted to. Um, and the other one, think about like sales. It could be a product. It could be linking to a, a page where you talk about your favorite tools or spices and there are affiliate links there, right? So when you are writing your emails, keep that in mind. So my earliest emails, I didn't have a blog on my site yet for Duet, the name of my business. But yeah, so none of those emails have links to anywhere other than like a podcast that I'm not even on. I was like, I like this podcast. Here you go. And it's just repurposed and it's in there. But I know that for me, it's at the time, especially was just, I need to be emailing my list. I need to show some sort of expertise. Could I go in there and probably link to my blog? 
probably. But for the time being, it's still doing, it still serves that same purpose it did a year and a half ago. So otherwise, once a nurture sequence is complete, like you can always add on more to it. And you'd kind of alluded to this earlier, a nurture sequence can be as long as you want. And you could, you know, going back to segmentation. So maybe you have three different segments and you mentioned they can go through one and then go through another and then go through another. You could also then kind of have a catch-all. So once everyone's done with those, you kind of have this ongoing, what I've heard called an endless broadcast. So the emails that you do curate and send out when you're done with it, just go copy and paste that information into your nurture sequence so that new subscribers who aren't on your list when you send that on May 15th, they're going to get it, you know, in October. <laughs> so, but making sure that, I mean, you're optimizing that content and the traffic to your site. So, and that being said, make sure that the content you do include in nurture sequences in your welcome sequence is evergreen. So it's not going to be out of date if someone gets it in January or if they're not, they're not getting Christmas recipes in May. Well, and that I think goes to why sometimes those RSS feed emails, why it's better to maybe write a specific email because you could have a recipe that it is technically a holiday recipe, but if you write an email, you could actually twist it as like not so holiday focused and be able to send people that way versus if someone gets it right before Christmas, it's going to be obvious like, oh, this is a Christmas cookie recipe where any other time of the year, it could be a different type of recipe. So yes, that's one way that you can optimize that as well. So is there anything else that you want to share with us about nurturing your email list and just really building that that group of loyal fans? Yeah, the only thing that comes to mind would be a different type of segmentation, which would be hiding certain content from certain people. So for instance, if you want to separate your list and know who the vegetarians are. So when you're sending out like a pork recipe, you can just skip sending it to them. A simple way to do that would be to put it into the footer of your template to say, you know, it could be in the welcome sequence, but you could also put it in the footer, like not interested in meat recipes, click here and I'll hide them. You know, I'll I'll skip you next time or something like that. And then, yeah, what I'd always recommend too is setting up your segments. So like you might have a vegetarian segment. You could have everyone segment. You could have a meat only non-vegetarian segment. And what that does is it's all of your subscribers who are completed with the welcome sequence who do not have these tags or who has this tag. And so that way, when you go to send your broadcast or your campaign, you don't have to remember all those tags. You don't have to remember all of the different inclusions and variables. You just send it. Yeah, because those are definitely very confusing, especially in- They can be. I mean, it's less confusing in ConvertKit than it is in other platforms, but even in ConvertKit, it is quite confusing. So do you um, generally recommend any other platform besides ConvertKit? I know I get this question a lot, and I know we both personally use ConvertKit, but if you have any other recommendations, I'm sure people would love to hear them. Absolutely. So when you're first getting started, um, there are a couple different recommendations. There is the free plan with ConvertKit. So even if you don't have an automated welcome, just getting in the habit of sending emails or building your email list, they have a free like landing page only type plan. So the only reason I recommend that is so that you're not having to migrate over from another platform. It just takes time. It's a little stressful. <laughs> and you're like changing out forms on your site when in reality, you could just start on a platform if that's the one you want to build out with. But when I actually started my first six months, this is before ConvertKit had their free plan. So when I started my business, not my blog, I actually used MailerLite, which is a pretty sweet platform. I know food bloggers who use that. It's kind of like if MailChimp and ConvertKit had a love child. So there's like, you mm -hmm. can drag and drop, you can put in images. I will say that the only reason I don't love it is that the delay is so and that happens with active campaign too. That would be the other one that I recommend. The only reason I would say, maybe not the only, a huge reason why I'm on ConvertKit is just how easy it is to toggle between everything. But active campaign and MailerLite are both solid platforms 
And so I'd recommend those as well because they all, all three of them really allow for tagging and creating a subscriber centric list. Whereas I'm not a huge fan of MailChimp for many reasons, but one of them is that it's harder to organize your subscribers. And if you have one thing that you're responsible for with an email service platform, it's serving your subscribers well and being able to segment them when needed. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And those are the ones I haven't used Active Campaign personally, but I've used MailerLite and it is really good for being able to segment things, but also being able to have things more like visually appealing. I know mm-hmm. a lot of food bloggers really struggle with the simplicity of ConvertKit yes. in terms of their template and how it's set up because it's very basic what you're able to actually control mm-hmm. with you know your design and things like that. We do a lot of um, email campaign designs for clients and it's usually a conversation we have to have. Like it's not meant to be like your target newsletter that you're using to it's really meant to be more of the content like the words itself it's less visual than some of the other platforms but i i definitely agree that convertkit has kind of checks all the boxes and it's what i really loved using too so mm-hmm. i would love for you to just share where people can stay connected with you and learn more about your services and how to you know how to work with you or just how to follow along with your tips and tricks along the way yes well the way that i'd recommend most of all would be to join my email list um i've got a backlog of tips and tricks um, lined up there. Podcast episodes that I've been on, if you really want to do a deep dive, that will all come into your inbox every Tuesday. Um, And then on Thursdays, you'll have my new content. And you can join my email list through my website. If you go to duet.co, D-U-E-T-T dot C-O slash resources, there are a handful of resources there. One in particular um, is one all about tags and segmentations. If you just like want the shortcut to understanding what tags and segmentations are and specifically how to use it, especially if you're a ConvertKit user, um, because that's where all my behind the scenes videos are from that is all on my resources page as well and if you're on instagram feel free to follow me at ali Bermert. and um, sometimes i'm there sometimes i delete the app for a couple weeks so hit or miss <laughs> depending on how i'm feeling yeah totally i love that those will all be in the show notes for anyone who is listening in their podcast app and just to make it easy to find those but thank you so much ali for your time it's been great to chat with you and just learn more about email marketing and all things nurture sequence um, i know listeners are really going to love hearing this episode absolutely thank you so much for having me Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to screenshot it and share it with a friend. You can tag me on Instagram stories at Grace and Vine. For the show notes for this episode, head to thevinepodcast.com. Talk soon.